Get wisdom. And if you get anything, get understanding. That's what Solomon says in the book of Proverbs. Get wisdom. It is of more value than gold, yes, than much fine gold. Or as David says in Psalm 119, the law, the Torah, the revelation, the word of God is worth much more than thousands of coins of gold and silver. Now, I don't know if you've checked the price of gold recently. It's a little down, but thousands of coins of gold ain't no joke. Get wisdom, they say. And that's also then what Paul is saying to the people at Colossae. What is wisdom then? Wisdom is to learn how to see without being lied to. Or if you're being lied to, to see through the lie. It's the ability to know where you actually are as opposed to be trapped in a story you tell yourself that isn't true. And ultimately then for Christians, it's the ability to know not only where you are, but where you're going. That where you are is not where you're going to be. That at best, this life is a temporary sojourn. A trip. And not a trip to a nice Mediterranean villa. But a trip through a desert. A trip through a valley filled with wolves and thorns. A trip to Pinocchio's Pleasure Island where it all seems nice until they're all donkeys and it's fallen into the sea. Get wisdom, Solomon says. Uh, Paul will say it a little different. We're going to look at chapter 3 today, but I want to get us there by tracing the line we've just walked down. So if you would find Colossians chapter 1 first, this is page 983 of your Pew Bible. We're going to trace this idea that Paul wants you to get wisdom, and that wisdom is the knowledge that you have of Jesus Christ, and that that knowledge is what the word of the Bible is about, and that because it's in you, that means God is in you, and so since God is in you, live like it. See. Be different. Colossians chapter 1, verses 9 and 10. Paul says, do you remember from two weeks ago? And so from the day we heard, he's not planted this church. He has only heard that there are Christians there. We have not ceased to pray for you. What's his prayer? Asking that you may be filled with the knowledge of his will in all spiritual wisdom and understanding so as verse 10 to walk in a manner worthy of the lord fully pleasing to him bearing fruit in every good work and increasing in the knowledge of god jump to verse 19 for in him all the fullness of god was pleased to dwell and through him to reconcile to himself all things whether on earth or in heaven, making peace by the blood of his cross. Jump to verse 26. 
This is the mystery hidden for ages and generations, but now revealed to you, to his saints. To you, God has chosen to make known how great among the Gentiles are the riches of the glory of this mystery, which is Christ in you. The hope of glory. There's a lot there. I'm not going to take it all apart. But get wisdom means know who Jesus is. And knowing who Jesus is means not just knowing that he is risen. It certainly starts there. It means not just knowing that Christ has died. Christ is risen. Christ will come again. That's part of learning to see. But it's learning to see not only that he's coming and heaven shall be a future thing. It's learning to see that that future is here right now as Christ himself in you. You are a piece of Adam. You broke off of him and then they got you wet and you grew. And you became what you are. And Everything that Adam was, you are, including hateful, selfish, uh, uh, above average maybe, but especially then above average at, at doing things for yourself. Right? Christ in you means that's not only all you are anymore. Now you are not only a piece of Adam, you're a piece of Jesus. And this isn't because you were so good, Jesus just had to have you. It's because Jesus is so good, Jesus just had to have you. And so he has broken off a piece of himself and put that into you. And we can even go a little further every week that you feast on the supper. He continues to just break off pieces of himself and shove it into you. In order that you might know that flesh and blood, you are unified with the man who is God. That means you are in fellowship, bodily shape. With God himself. Wisdom knows that. Sees that. Remembers that in those moments of life where it doesn't feel like I'm unified with God. It doesn't look like I'm unified with God. It doesn't even look like God's in control. Why is so much evil taking place all over the place? Wisdom sees that that's the lie. That's the story of a dragon who's trying to tell the world he's got it all under his control now, so you better do what he says. That's the lie. That dragon's been pierced through the tongue and the face, nailed to the feet of the man on the cross. Wisdom sees that. Wisdom then is free to stand with your head held high, even while you're knee deep in muck and everyone else is wallowing in it. Get wisdom. So where Paul's going, get this mindset, see it, own it, use it. Huh? Look at chapter 2, verse 2 then. This should encourage your hearts, that their hearts may be encouraged, being knit together in love to reach all the riches of full assurance of, there it is, understanding and the knowledge of God's mystery, which is Christ in whom are hidden all the treasures of wisdom and knowledge. So this Christ in you is also a Christ who is in God, and in him is hidden all, all knowledge, all wisdom. He's going somewhere here with this too as well. Let's look ahead to verse 20. If then, remember, 
I will come back to this idea again. If can mean since. It's the same word in the Greek. Since then, you with Christ you died to the elemental spirits of the world. Why, as if you were still alive in the world, do you submit to its regulations? This is absolutely key. Wisdom sees that the world is filled with lies, and so wisdom stops getting all bent out of shape because I don't seem to fit the mold that the world makes me want to fit. I don't have to do anything the world tells me to do. In fact, I might even really want to and have to not because the only thing I have to do is owe a debt of love to you to love God with all my heart and mind and soul so far as I am able and to not be deceived. So when the world comes along and says, well, if you don't do this and if you don't do that and if you don't think this way, if you won't be this way and don't do those things, why do you still live under all those pressures? This is a question you should ask yourself. Why do you let people who are not Christians tell you how to think? Why? It's supposed to be kind of a rhetorical question. Like there's not a real answer. It's like, yeah, I do, don't I? Why do I do that? Asking it of yourself, that's the beginning of not. Yeah? That's the foundation of no more. The knowledge of God that you are in Christ, that this world can no longer contain you, that you're walking through it to a better place, and it's already begun by the spirit of the living Jesus who's inside of you, means you can stand up and you can stand firm. You don't have to be like a limp a limp uh, piece of foliage in the wind blowing everywhere. You don't have to be like a ship being cast about on the waves of the sea. You have an anchor in the storm. Yeah. Your feet are on a stand. Your feet are on, on the rock. All right, so that was verse 20. Again, now verse 1 of chapter 3. We're going to dig into the chapter we're moving toward. Since then, now I, I kind of mentioned this a moment ago. Let your eyes drift between chapter 3, verse 1, and chapter 2, verse 20. That word if, if then, if with Christ. Um, uh, the word in the Greek is a. And it does a lot of things. Now, we have words in English that do more than one thing. If is not one of them. If only does one thing. It, it means maybe. And it's kind of up to you, usually, right? And, and so in, in Greek, though, the word can also mean because or since. And you might think, well, that would be awful confusing if someone's trying to talk to me and they said if because and I didn't know what they meant. Well, it would be confusing if you weren't listening to them and that was the only word they spoke. But the amazing thing about language is that your own language, you know it really well. And so people can say stuff to you that if someone didn't know your language, they'd get really confused by what you said because they used a word that meant more than one thing. I got a fun story about this one. I, um, <laughs> is a uh, kind of a good memory for me. I spent some time in the, the nation of Hungary right after college, teaching English as a second language and lots of ups and downs and some pretty stupid Jonathan uh, in, in that time period. But uh, when I first got there, I was just trying to be a you know, really nice, happy guy, be, be part of this school. It was like a 500-year-old high school that I got to teach at. And uh, the, the English kind of senior lady teacher there was, was showing me around and, and saying, okay, here's the classroom you got to go to. Here's the locker you get to use and all this. And every time she'd say, you know, this is it. Do you, do you understand? I would say, awesome. Okay. Yeah, this is awesome. This is great. Cause yeah, I'm from California and I like to think I'm a surfer and blah, blah, blah. Awesome. Right. Cowabunga. So I'm saying awesome left and right. She finally, like the fourth or fifth time she stops me 
And she goes, why are you so afraid? And I said, what do you mean? She says, you keep saying everything is awesome. Doesn't awesome mean to be afraid? Well, I looked it up. Yeah, actually it does. That's like the plain meaning of the word awesome. She had her dictionary. She knew what it meant, but she was missing what? Context. Context. So, so how do you know if it's if or because? Context. What's the context of these two chapters or these two paragraphs here, these two ifs? The context is two full chapters of him saying, you've died with Christ. You've died with Christ. Hey, did you know? He nailed it to the cross. You've died with Christ. So why would he then say, if you've died with Christ? It makes a lot more sense, he would say, since you've died with Christ. And so I think this really helps you in your Christian walk to not come to this kind of section and say it's maybe, I'm not so sure, and see it instead as because of what Christ has done, this is indeed what I want, right? So since I've died with Christ, why would I live submitted to the elementary principles of the world? And then chapter 3, verse 1, since you have been raised with Christ, seek the things that are above. Right? Die to the earth, seek heaven. Heaven not being angels and harps. Heaven being light versus darkness. Heaven being good versus evil. Heaven being God versus the devil. Yes? Seek the things that are above where Christ is seated at the right hand of God. Indeed, literally, he has ascended out of this earth and into the highest, highest heaven where he has taken as a man all rule, power, and authority, and is using it for the good of you, his church, his body. Seek that. Seek to remember that. In that moment when the world doesn't go the way you want and you say why, remember, it's going the way he wants so that you'll live forever. And maybe you have to go through a little of this or that that you don't want to. But see, that's the valley of the shadow of death, you know. The lie is to think you can build a paradise on earth. Uh, Once a theologian quipped that he was quite right. Every attempt to bring about paradise on earth, all it does is bring up more hell from below. Far better to recognize that we're walking through a desert, but we're alive. And we're going to cross this river already have if you're baptized really you're going to cross this river and walk into a promised land called Canaan every one of you is going to get your own fig tree it's going to be milk and honey flowing everywhere I mean that's all just imagery to show you what's real right what's real set your mind on this is the point of what Paul is going to say all the way through this it will be wisdom to you and when the world says but what about that I said Christ has died Christ has risen Christ has come again. Well, but there's this thing over here. I know, but he is risen. Hallelujah. <laughs> That's what this is, right? So what, one, one piece here as we get into this. So this is going to talk about Christian fruit. Every week I tell you, you know, the fruit of lips that confess his name. Yeah? Christian fruit. There's, there's two ways to look at bearing good fruit. One is that you're supposed to bear good fruit so you know you're a Christian. That's the stupid one, okay? The other one is that you know you're a Christian, so you're going to try to bear good fruit. That's the wise one. All the talk about bearing fruit in the New Testament isn't there so you can find out whether or not God loves you. It's there because since God loves you, let's 
love each other. It really makes sense, and it's not that hard. The problem is our flesh always wants to kind of make it about me, right? And so we try to do good, and then we fail, and we see it, and immediately the first thought right out of the heart is, well, that must mean I'm not a Christian. And that's where, again, wisdom has to be able to say, shut up, like to yourself. Like, heart, shut up. I'm not going to listen to that nonsense anymore. I know what Christ has said about me. And so I'm not going to judge me based on my fruit. I'm going to judge me based on Jesus' fruit hanging on the cross. And then I'm going to ask him to teach me to seek the things that are above. And when he tells me what they are, I'm going to say, I want more of that. So that's what this is here for today. This text is here to inspire you to want more of that and less of the other as we get into that here. All right. So verse three. For you have died. I mean, it's kind of what I just said. You're dead already. Like, he already killed you. There's nothing more for him to do in that regard. He have already died, and your life is hidden with Christ in God. Like he, he's, he's in you. You're in him. You can't see that you're resurrected yet, but you already rose from the dead. It's hidden with Christ in God. He's going to come back. You're going to see it eventually, but you can, you can live like it now. You're immortal now. You've died. Your life is with Christ in God. When Christ, who is your life, appears then you also will appear with him in glory. This is not a maybe. This is not an if. This is, this is the foundation point here. Yeah? Therefore, because this is true, because you're already immortal now, verse 5, therefore put to death what is earthly in you. This is something I think uh, we, we Lutherans, and I don't just mean St. Paul. I mean, we Lutherans, we, we really need to recapture biblical language that we've let go of because the Baptists use it too much. And one of the keys, I think, is to distinguish that worldliness is, is a word for bad in the Bible. So to be a worldly person, it's, it's not good. And, and don't get into like, does that mean I'm not going to heaven? No, 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 no. Like, like it's just going to hurt you. The more you put your hope in stuff that crumbles to death through your fingers, the more you're going to feel pain when it crumbles to death through your fingers. So put it to death. Stop thinking that way. Think about things that don't crumble. Instead, give your life to things that don't crumble. And and again, he's going to get into this more specifically here in verse 6. Excuse me. At the end of verse 5, he's going to start one of two lists of things that crumble, yeah? things that are worldly, things that don't last. The first one, translated as sexual immorality, is the word porneia in the Greek, from which the word pornography comes about. Pornography. Graphos is to write, and porneia is lawless sex. So pornography is to draw, right, or to have a picture of lawless sex. Well, that's bad, but not because of the drawing necessarily, but because of the lawless sex. It's kind of like that, uh, that commandment. Number six, do not commit adultery. I really love, I finally looked up the word adultery on an etymological dictionary, you know, the history of the word. Made all the difference in the world for me in terms of understanding. I always thought adultery is the weirdest word, right? What's wrong with a, being an adult? Right? It's, it's a strange word. Well, it's not based on that word. It's two words in Latin. It's to add, like math, right? To add, and then the word alteration, to alter, to change. 
So to not commit adultery, like more literally, is don't change marriage. Hey, look at that. Yeah. Uh, once you're married, guess what? Stay that way. Huh? Uh, if you're not married, guess what? Don't do things that are married people things. Very straightforward. Pornea, the opposite of that. Lawless sex. Uh, let me reemphasize here. Sex is good. Sex makes babies. Sex shouldn't hurt. I mean, sometimes the first night, if you don't know, it can be that way, but it'll get better. It's made to bind you together. It's emotional glue. That's why when you young people start holding hands, you start wanting to get closer to each other because the bodies were made to go together, and that's marriage. It's made to tie you to each other so that as you walk through this dark veil of tears, you're not alone. Got someone who can hold your hand. You can both look in one direction. And when it goes bad, you can look at each other and look back. Huh? That pornea is the opposite of that. The next word, impurity, akatharissa. You can hear the word catheter in there. It means uncleanness. A catheter cleans you. Gets rid of the akatheter, the unclean. Uncleanness is a reference to Old Testament thinking. And of course, we know that there are no unclean foods spiritually, but that's not really the way we should have understood those things anyway. The difference between a leper and a non-leper wasn't that one could be a Christian and one could not, but the distinction is that they can't be part of a clean community because clean is good and unclean is bad. So we want to just take that concept forward. Stop thinking about actual leprosy and think about the corruption of your sinful flesh and see that God wants to get rid of that. And so since God has gotten rid of that in Christ on the cross, flee from those things that would make you spiritually unclean. Notice how unspecific that is, though, by the way, too, right? It's not a bullet point list. Well, today I've been clean. I took a shower, right? It's not a bullet point list. It's a mindset, yeah? Similarly, then, the next word, passion, pathos. Pathos. There are three words that go together in Greek philosophy here. Pathos, ethos, and logos. Um, You know both logos and ethos because we kind of have them as English words. Ethos, ethics. Logos, logic. You know those words. Logic to think, ethics to do, pathos to feel. And between thinking, doing, and feeling, you kind of got a whole uh, summary of the human reality. Now, so when he then here says, put to death pathos, does he mean never feel anything? Well, that would be nonsensical. But what he means is, don't let your feelings rule you. Maybe this isn't as profound as I think it is, the next thing I'm going to say. But for me, this is super profound. Your feelings can lie to you. But I thought my feelings were my authentic self. Yeah, well, they kind of are. Guess what? You can lie to you. Do it a lot, probably. The trick is not to never have this person that you are as a sinner be. It's by the word of God, by the knowledge of what is true, put to death the lies when you find them. When you have a feeling that makes you want to do something you know is wrong, just tell yourself it's wrong. The feeling is wrong. It's just so un-American, right? We're supposed to always just let our feelings be whatever. But but tell yourself the feeling's wrong. Will it change the feeling? Maybe in a couple of years. It might, actually. But it doesn't matter. The point is, you're more than your feelings. Feelings are good. They can be wonderful things. I just mentioned that the bond of marriage, I mean, it's filled with feelings. 
Yeah? But, but put to death the rule of your feelings over you. Yeah? And so then evil desire is the next one here, craving for bad stuff. The word is badness. Don't crave badness. And then it lists covetousness, uh, greed, and it ties greed to idolatry. Idolatry means the worship of an image. And hopefully you can kind of see that when I, when I don't have something that I want and I fixate on that thing, I create an image in my mind. And then as I fixate on it more and more and I start trying to make it happen or being angry when it doesn't happen, I'm effectively worshiping that image. So idolatry isn't just about statuary, although it can be that too. Uh, Idolatry is about needing something you don't have so bad that you you worship it. And that again means to, well, to seek it more than you would seek the word of God, more than you would seek to walk through this veil of tears. Yes? Um, To not recognize that it's going to crumble to dust. Whatever it is you think you need so bad, what is it? A pony? Trip to Europe? Nice meal? What is it? Whatever it is, it's just going to go away. And that's, again, the mindset here. It's not that you can't ever want things. You're going to want things. The question is, can you, will you, you shall, as a Christian, see the difference between, oh, yeah, I kind of want that, and he is risen. They're, they're worlds apart. And Paul's trying to encourage you. So, like, on purpose, like, remember this. Remember this. On account of these... The things that crumble to dust that we worship, the wrath of God is coming. And that's why it's all crumbling to dust. The crumbling is the wrath of God. And and you know that fire is still set to come. He deluged it all with water once. We're in a flood of information now, but the day of fire is coming. So why would you want to live in the things that are bringing that about? And again, the good news here for the Christian is your conscience doesn't. None of this is like, oh my goodness, I totally wanted to be evil. And now pastor says I shouldn't be. Like that's, you, you, you don't have that in you. There are people who do. The wicked do just want to do evil. You don't. You want to do good. So again, hear these words as encouragement to that. And they're, they're building up what your mindset already is. Cling to that. Yeah. In these, verse 7, you once too walked. So, of course, our flesh is got this in it when you were living in them. But now you must put them all away. Second list, anger. This means to be impulsive with your feelings again. It's not just about someone did evil and that makes me angry. That's actually kind of a good thing. Like when you see somebody doing something truly wicked to somebody else, you should be upset about it. But then what do you do? That's a different thing than what you feel. And anger here, it means to be impulsive with what you do, to to act out on your anger, to just thrash with it. Similar then the next word, wrath, which means to be self-intense. So he's saying, put to death your impulsiveness and your self-intensity. Put to death then the next word, malice. This is just the word bad, badness, evil. The next word, slander, this is blasphemy, literally, blasphemy, uh, 
abusive speech, to speak with your tongue in a way that hurts others. And then obscene talk from your mouth. The word here doesn't necessarily mean sexual or coarse joking. It just means ugly words. It's literally, it's ugly talk. So to kind of like summarize that, you can do one of two things with your mouth. You can build or you can tear. You can encourage or you can rip apart. And that whole section is, since you have died with Christ, encourage. Since you have died with Christ, build. Since you have died with Christ, don't tear down. No need. Verse 9, back to the tongue still. Do not lie to one another, seeing that you have put off the old self with its practices. Right? All of those practices we just listed, you've already put them off. He's not saying you have to in the future. He's saying, again, since you've already had this happen, since Jesus nailed it to the cross, yeah. now don't lie to each other. Be honest with yourself, with your family, with people at church. You've put off the old man. Now, here's this old man, new man language coming. Paul does this in a couple of places in the New Testament. It's really about Adam and Jesus. Huh? So the old man, the paleos, anthropos, paleontology, the study of old stuff, paleos, anthropos, anthropology, the study of man. That's the word right there. You have put off the old man. This means Adam and your relationship to Adam has been crucified with Jesus. So, So since that's true again, don't lie. Don't practice old man practices. Because verse 10, you have put on the new self. The word man isn't there. It's just the word uh, regeneration or or newness again. I mean, I'll read it to you here. It's kind of of interesting to me. Neos anakinumenon. Right? So neos, like neo, uh, new. And then ana means again. And then kainumenon, kainos, also means new. So you have two words for new. Neos and kainos, and then he has the word again. So it's the new again new. <laughs> Since you have put on the new again new. Do you follow though how this is like the word regeneration kind of captures this? Yeah? Now new man is fine. Understand that the new again new man is Jesus who has risen from the dead and you have put him on. He talked about that in chapter two in baptism. You have died with Christ. Uh, And so you're also risen with him. Because you have done that, you are being renewed in knowledge after the image of its creator, right? So now the image of God has become Jesus Christ, who has died for you to become the image of God on the cross. And you are being renewed in that image, which is to see that this life isn't worth saving by itself. It's worth dying to live again, though. Absolutely. Yeah. And then kind of baptismal language in verse 11, here that is in the image of God, that is where we are renewed by Christ, here there is not Greek and Jew. There is not circumcised and uncircumcised. There is neither barbarian, Scythian, slave or free. But Christ is all and in all. You got kind of three parallels there and then one random side shoot. So Jew or Greek, right? There is no distinction between nations, between peoples, between families. There's only one human race, 
Yeah, circumcised or uncircumcised. Honestly, if you want to have Christmas Eve with candles, it's okay. And if you want Christmas Eve with no candles, it's okay. Human rituals aren't bad in and of themselves, and they don't divide us. Uh, circumcised, uncircumcised. And then slave or free. I mean, wealthy or poor. How great has your life been? How much has it kind of sucked? It doesn't matter. In Christ, we're all one body walking toward the same place. And then he has the barbarian Scythian part. I really like this. They're kind of the same. The barbarian is like an idea. The Scythians were actually a people. So the Scythians were the ancient predecessors to like Genghis Khan. They were the central horse warriors or the horse warriors of Central Asia. And these guys, I mean, if, if a Scythian walked into church, you'd, well, in Rockford, actually, we have people who kind of do this stuff, but, um, you know, tattoos on the face, piercings all over, but they did something even worse, I guess, from our point of view. You maybe have heard of Chinese foot binding, right? Where they would bind the feet of, of the, the little girls so they couldn't walk if they were like princesses. Okay, so what the Scythians did out on the horse plains is they bound the boys' heads so the skull would grow weird, like scary. Because when you're going to be con, you need to be terrifying, right? And that's the Scythians. And why is Paul bringing the Scythians in here? He's trying to say even them, even them, Christians, they can be. There's nobody who is too wicked for Jesus. Yeah. Verse 12, put on them. Now we get to put on this new man. What does that look like? As God's chosen ones. Notice first, it's not what you do. The first putting on is to know that you're elect. The word is elect in Greek. You're chosen. Put that on. Huh? I mean, I know I'm going to ask you to do something next, but it's not something that if you don't do it, you're a failure. It's just something that will help if you do it. When you get up in the morning, Make the sign of the cross and say in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit. Just do that. You're chosen. It'll remind you. You're chosen, right? I put on this crucifix every morning. Every morning I look at Jesus, how he died for me. Do I ever feel like I deserve it? No. Do I? Sometimes I don't even want to. I'm just I'm too tired. But every time it's a promise from him. Put that on. Yeah. However it takes for you in the morning. Say the name of Jesus. And pray Psalm 125, sons of Solomon, all that. Put on, as God's chosen ones, put on holiness and being beloved. Holiness, believe you're set apart. Believe you're different. Believe you don't belong to this world, to this age, to the mindset of the devil. And then what does that mean? It means God loves you. Put on the knowledge that God loves you. God so loved the world, yes. Does God love the wicked? No. Does he love you? Yes. Am I wicked? No. You're a sinner saved by grace, so you're not wicked. You're saved. You're elect. You're holy. You're chosen. You're beloved. Put it on. This means believe it. And then he lists these other things that do come down to us. Compassion. It means to be heartfelt, to have your heart go out to people. Kindness. This means to value other people. It's not about being nice. It's about valuing other people. Uh, humility, this means to be beneficial to other people. Actually, the, the translation of humility there is really quite bad for the word. The next word that gets translated as meekness is the word that normally is humility. So the other word that's translated as humility is krestatis. 
It means to be of benefit to others. Put on the mindset that I'm here to benefit you. It's kind of beautiful when you think about it. And then the word meekness, that is the normal word for humility, uh, typanos, it means to be afflicted, put on affliction, which is going to tie to the next word, patience, which is to wait. Uh, Humility is to be afflicted, patience is to wait. Put on the ability to not need everything you want right now. Put on the ability to bear with others in how they're not perfect. Put on the willingness to wait for what is good to come later. Verse 13, bearing with one another. And this is especially talking about in the church. It's not not talking about letting evil people do evil things. This is saying in the church, put up with each other, in your family. I mean, you know this. We all have the public face. We all have who we are when we're with the people at church. And then we go home and we find out who we really are. We all have this. That's where you get to bear with each other. And if one has a complaint against another, forgiving each other as the Lord has forgiven you. We talked about marriage a little while ago. The power of Christian marriage is the power to forgive. The reason there is so much divorce in our society is because people don't know how to forgive. They don't. They want justice. And then they live with a sinner. And they find out it doesn't really work out so well. Forgiveness is the ability to try again tomorrow. That is what, again, we are to strive for. Set your mind on such things. As you've been forgiven, so you also must forgive. That's not like, and if you don't, then you won't be again. This is because he has, so you shall. Because he has, this is who we are. He's forgiven you. So we will be those who forgive. Verse 14, above all these, put on love. A word that captures it all. If it's understood rightly. Agape in the Greek. It it just means to love or to sacrifice of oneself for another. Love is a squishy word in English. I don't like it much, honestly. It's too easy to to fit evil into it. In fact, a lot of the evils that are done right now in our society are done in the name of love. They they squeeze lies into love. Shouldn't we change marriage because they just love each other? I I know you heard that eight years ago. So be careful with this word, but we shouldn't lose it either. It's our word. To love is to see the good of the other and to want what's best for them. It doesn't mean to let them do evil because they want to. Sometimes it means if you've got kids especially, it means to stop them from doing evil and set in place boundaries and discipline so that they won't do evil. That's love. Put on love, which binds everything together in perfect harmony. And let the peace of Christ rule in your heart. If I haven't been clear enough, this isn't about you doing enough so you can find Jesus. The peace of Christ is the fact that he has declared amnesty between God and you. Let the fact that Christ has declared an end of war between God and you rule in your heart. Let that be the thought that demands attention every single day. God is for you, not against you. Let that be real. And 
So let the peace of Christ rule in your hearts, verse 15, to which indeed you were called in one body. That word called is the ecclesia word, is church. You were churched in one body. And then he says, and be thankful. This is, <laughs> this is one of the toughest ones for me. You know, like If someone comes up to me and says, be thankful. I can't do it. <laughs> it's, just, it's just not that easy to like just turn around and be thankful, right? Uh, but but if, if you step back a little and, and think about what gratitude really is, and then you can hear it in an encouraging way, gratitude is not an effort to be thankful. Gratitude is when you remember something that was good that already happened. Yeah? But let's just do that together right now. Think of something that was really good. It could be this week. It could be the absolute best thing in your life, favorite memory. Just think of it for a moment. Put yourself back in that moment. Remember what it felt like. Now, you should be feeling that same emotion right now. Yeah, it's gratitude. It's, it's remembering a good thing. That's all it is. Right? It's, not, it's not, I'm going to be thankful and live an attitude of gratitude life now. I mean, you can't do that. But you can remember good things God has done, whether they be for your actual life, or well, I shouldn't say actual life as if Christ being risen isn't your actual life, whether they be for your personal life, your private life, or be for the life of the world and the church. So as he says here, you know, be thankful. His, his point is remember, he is risen. Verse 16, love this one, highlight this one. Did you take a note yet this week? Make a note with just this one on it. Put it on your fridge. Let the word of Christ dwell in you richly. Ah, I mean, you've heard me say it, right? Read your Bible. <laughs> read your Bible. Open it up. And let me repeat this idea. When I say read your Bible, I don't mean you have to do it cover to cover once a year. I mean, find something in your Bible that you will read. Now, he's going to tell you how to do that next. He's, he says, uh, um, teaching and admonishing one another in all wisdom. Okay, well, that's Proverbs. Read the Proverbs. Just, just read it over and over again. Put the name of Jesus in for the, the word, the Lord. It'll change the way the book reads. There's so much Jesus Christ in Proverbs, it's amazing. It's almost all good news when it's about Jesus. There's some times where it's like, look, if you're lazy, it's not going to work out. It just, it's true. Read Proverbs. Or he says singing psalms. There's a whole book of that. The Psalter. Best prayers in the world. Always get answered. So to let the word of Christ dwell in you richly means read your Bible. And a good place to start is the Psalms and Proverbs. I mean, do you think I made that up? It's right here. Now, interestingly, hymns and spiritual songs, there's some debate about what he's referring to. Um, I remember there's a joke. If you, if you go back to uh, the old, not the old hymnal, but the kind of newer old hymnal from the 80s, it's called Lutheran Worship, right? The old hymnals, the Lutheran hymnal, that's the 1940s one. And you got the 80s, Lutheran Worship, and then now uh, Lutheran Service. So you go back to Lutheran Worship, and you flip through it, at the top of the pages, you always see like categories of hymns. And you get to the back and there's a category of hymns called spiritual songs in Lutheran worship, right? So, so that must be what Paul's talking about. Well, probably not. Um, th there's an argument that it has to do with New Testament songs and canticles. So think 
the, the, the Benedictus, what John the Baptist's father says after his mouth is opened, that's written down by Luke, that's a song in the Bible. Dwell on that. It, it could mean that. And, and this is true. Like Philippians chapter 2 reads like a song. Uh, he he uh, made himself nothing, taking on the form of a servant, submitting unto death, even death on a cross. Right? It, it, it reads like a song. So maybe that's what this is about. The one other option that it could be about is that in the Psalms themselves, like Psalms is what the name of the book is, but throughout the Psalms, there's like four or five different types of song in the Psalms. Uh, there's a mashal, uh, there's a, a, has, a, a maskil, there's a bunch of different Psalms there. So maybe he's referring to that. I don't think he just means make stuff up. He's talking about getting into the word of God that will endure forever and letting that be in you richly. The value of reading the same book multiple times, like Colossians, read it this week, read it next week. The value is that it starts to be how you think. You don't have to pay attention for it to happen. You just read it. It starts to be how you think. Okay. So do that, and whatever you do, verse 17, in word or deed, do everything in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks to God the Father through him. So know that Jesus has put his name on you in your baptism. And whatever you do, know that. He is risen. That makes you immortal now. Remember that this week. Live like it's true. When you feel like it's not, call yourself the liar that you are. Feel free to repent of it without having to feel guilty about repenting of it. Just repent. Jesus, I don't like this feeling. I think it's wrong. And then remember that you're immortal now. But he nailed it to the cross. Now, we're at time. You might notice there's more of chapter 3. But if you skim ahead, you'll see that chapter 4 has a whole lot of, hey, guys, how you doing? So we're going to pick up the rest of chapter 3 next week to give full attention to it. In the name of Jesus, amen.